All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mind Over Matter. This is episode 27. We brought on Jason. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Jason. He's been popping in the uh, Discord here and there ever since we recorded. And his conversations contribute a lot to uh, how I run my life now. It's it's pretty great. Got a new, epi- or a new person within our community. So I'm very excited about that. Kev, you want to go into a little bit why we got him on? Yeah, so Jason was my first boss when I got to a uh, an operational army unit. So uh, when he first met me, I was 19, 20 years old, just kind of figuring out life. But um, he was a super good boss to me, and we kind of reconnected recently. So we wanted to get him on the show and talk about like some leadership stuff because he had a soldier that was a big problem when he first got promoted, and Trevor was that problem when I first got promoted. <laughs> they ended up a lot differently, but there was a lot of parallels we wanted to kind of get into, though, so... Uh, Jason, thanks again for coming on, and uh, let's get into it. Enjoy the show. Hell yeah. All right, I guess we're live then. So <laughs> welcome to the uh, Mind Over Matter podcast. Today we have a very special guest. He's actually my first boss in the Army in an operational unit. It's uh, Jason sitting right over here. So, uh, Jason, if you want to just give a quick intro about your time in the Army and then go into kind of how you met me, and we'll kick this off. Yeah, so I've been in the Army 13 years. I've spent uh, most of my career either working in or with uh, special operations. Um, I went to basic training in Fort Jackson, shared that wonderful experience uh went to ait here in uh, virginia for eustis which is now joint base langley eustis um, <laughs> and then went to straight from ait to the 160th uh green platoon so and that's spent uh what about five years there and then you came i think because i was yeah, there for a couple years before i left i want to say yeah you had just got promoted to e5 like right before i got there right yeah yeah because because that's there was one soldier we'll we'll name because he's not in the army no more we could drop his name so with the the other dude there was this soldier it was basically me a dude named kyle and a dude named matthew right and (laughs) kyle was kind of a let's say kind of a turd he was a turd man (laughs) and you guys were my first three soldiers that i got like brand new soldiers i got to the shop when i first made e5 yeah matthew wasn't the greatest soldier either (laughs) no at the time bro matt wasn't even that bad like matt wasn't bad until after really his like first deployment Uh, then he got kind of late like but he actually taught me a lot of shit like i didn't learn anything or know anything before i got there right but you know matt taught me a lot of shit but kyle dude he was like he was a problem child man so my my, my, yeah pop (laughs) off dude so he was my first article 15 my first ever i would say problem child that i ever had to deal with in the army he was that very first nco experience that i ever got and it was it was hard it was hard to navigate that for sure were were you like how much support did you have from the bosses at the shop with that uh i had a lot of support from john which was like you know the step above what I was dealing with. Uh, as far as like anything above that, I mean, you know, the commander in the first start at that time, I had their ear and they, they respected me a lot. So anything that I, 
you know, recommended to them as one of the NCOs, they kind of trusted me on it. So I had a lot of support from them, but it was weird for me because that was the first ever incident that I had ever dealt with. And I had an article 15 when I first arrived there in the shop. So I kind of had a weird way of navigating it as like, I didn't want to punish him too drastically for it, but I also wanted him to know that, Hey, this is going to be wrong and we're not going to talk. You know what I'm saying? Are, are you comfortable sharing what your article 15 was for? Yeah, it was lying to a non-commissioned officer. Oh, so, what? what? I yeah. never heard that before. Come on. Yeah. I, I could count. I couldn't count how many times I lied to Kevin. Shit. How? <laughs> what, what did you lie I mean, about, though? Like, for real? So, yeah. So, I had gone to a fair, like a fair in Kentucky uh, the night prior with some friends, and... I showed up late and it wasn't the first time I was late. Let's be honest. You know, I yeah, was, yeah. I was not great. Those first couple of years in the army, I had my growing pains, uh, but I was late coming into work the next day. And I, I mean, like almost as bad as Kyle, but not quite as bad sort of deal. Uh, <laughs> so I show up and I still had the fair stamp on my hand and oh. the, the NCO I see at the shop at the time who I'll remember, leave not leave nameless uh yeah, he was kind of a, a hard ass and he thought i was out drinking at a club and i was underage at the time so i told him no i wasn't but i wouldn't tell him what i what i was doing like you know i've always <laughs> been of the opinion you leave out details for a reason you know and uh Hell so yeah. he just he thought i was lying about drinking that night and that's what he that's what he charged me for so charged me. and and so what then you just took it because you didn't want to tell him like what you were actually doing yeah yeah pretty much i, I so shit. i've always been i've always been like my life is my life I, i've separated the army professional and personal and i had to do that in the beginning because of a lot of rules that were established then and you know my lifestyle i guess we'll say yeah. so you know in the beginning like i had to keep all that stuff real hush hush and low-key and it was a weird way to navigate it. So I've always kind of kept my life that way. Like I don't share a lot of details, you know, people don't necessarily get to know me very well, but that's just who I am. So at that point I felt like it was probably just best to leave that detail out. So <laughs> what was your punishment? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. So you remember the gravel area out in front of the, out in front of the hangar? Yeah. Where the park, oh, like on the parking lot side? Yeah, so it had the rocks and the tree, had the the flags outside, right? So I was one, I painted all that. I painted all the walls, all the wood around it. I had to, they literally dropped a pile of rocks out because so Abbey hadn't been built yet, but the field was cleared over there. And so they dumped a pile of rocks over there, and I literally had to take a wheelbarrow with a shovel, fill it up, drag it over, level it out. I made that little rock garden out in front of the hangar. That's about a hundred yards to give you a picture, you know, yeah. one way about how far that is, I reckon. Yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't tough, but it definitely, so I'll back up. It was, I had gotten direction, right? Uh, at first they were kind of pushing me hard and they were like, Hey, we're going to have an NCO watch you. Like it's going to be these hours and this many days. And then we had a change of first sergeants and first sergeant Telesco came in at that point. And he was walking in the hangar one day 
and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm on extra duty first sergeant, you know? And he's like, how long? And, you know, I started explaining it to him, explaining it to him. And he's like, ah, oh, we're going to change that. So he literally went down in the shop and told my NCOs, like, no NCO is going to waste their time watching him. He's a grown ass adult. If he's not going to do it right, we'll just keep him on it. And we're going to give him one project. And however long it takes him, that's how long this punishment's going to last. So that's it honestly better. wasn't that rough. Yeah. It I was a lot better that. than it could have been. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, uh, the only Article 15s I ever had to, like, babysit, so to speak, it was, like, four dudes got it all at one time. Yeah. So they couldn't, like, be like, oh, yeah, y'all are good to just go on about it, you know. Um, but do you remember one? Go ahead. The only other one I had to do was we had one, it was a DUI, I believe, and then some suicidal ideations came about. So I had to sit there and watch them, but. Yeah, our DUI. That was about it. We're not going to name drop him, but my boss, I guess, jokingly told me, you know, we in the shop we had those uh, yellow lines, like on the where the walk paths were. Yep. He was overseas and he texted me, "Have him paint those yellow again." And this dude did such a phenomenal. You actually helped him, didn't you, Trevor? Oh yeah, bro. It was like it was like three p.m. on a Friday is when he like like Kevin got the text to start doing this shit, and then he came back, fucking started like taping up the lines so i was like and i had no idea i just got done working cleaning everything i'm like what the fuck's going on right now and the dude got yeah. on his knees and started painting the fucking lines and i'm like dude i understand what this guy did was wrong he's literally on his knees right now it's friday and he's painting these fucking lines yellow again like we already did this shit so i yeah. Yeah, just got on my knees and we got that shit dude we got that shit done in like an hour maybe 30 minutes we got that shit done like that and then right after he gets home from deployment kev i'll let you finish the story but yeah, he gets home from deployment, right? And they they did a phenomenal job on this floor. Like, that floor has, is very walked on, you know? Like, we drive forklifts in there. That shit was chewed up, right? But it looked well brand used. new. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, well used, right? And the boss gets home, and he looks at it, and he's like, damn, this looked great. What happened? I was like, what the fuck do you mean, what happened? You told me to have him paint this shit. He's like, you actually did. I was kidding. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? But we were we that what we were taking so many L's, dude. Like that, a dude got hacked and all of his money got, got taken. Fucking Trevor's being him, you know, <laughs> running into trash cans, getting speeding <sighs> tickets. It's like we and I've been an NCO at that point for like thirty minutes, barely. Yeah, and, and you're I'm, just thrown into it. That's that's yeah. the part about like. So I've worked with a lot of different. Uh, you know, units in the army, right? And I've seen infantry, I've seen aviation, I've seen engineers, like I've, I've worked with all of them. And I will say some of the worst NCOs, some of the worst leaders I have seen have been aviation NCOs. And okay. it's, be it's because of like the way you're brought up. I mean, think about the situation you were thrown into, right? How, how, how well had we like, fostered environment for you to learn how to do that right barely because it was all about job proficiency not like Ex NCO shit. exactly and you're thrown into it you're thrown into it dude well, and... you got basic uh what is it blc blc B yeah is that yeah, yeah that's good enough exactly. is, is that a is that a leadership course though i mean in all reality because <laughs> most most infantry units they don't even that's not really even considered a leadership course in their eyes like they view a ranger school or sapper school wow. as a leadership course 
I only learned about NCOERs and DLC. That's and you at yeah. one little factoid, you cannot use an umbrella unless you're in ASUs with a trench coat. I learned that. <laughs> I didn't even know that. See, you learn something new every Fun day. Fact. Yeah. No, I'll tell that story real quick. Yeah. It was like piss and rain after PT, dude. And I kept my clothes in my car. So I would just bring my like my clothes into the barracks to shower and bring them back, right? And I'm like, I get my clothes, I got my umbrella. I hear, excuse me, sir. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. And I look up and I, I'm pretty sure it's the branch cheese, like some E8. And he's like, what's the regulation on wearing an umbrella? I'm like, what? I'm like, I have no idea, Sergeant. But I said, I, I'm guessing I'm wrong seeing as you're yelling at me. He's like, find out and get back to me. Oh, my God. But I, I guess I got off pretty light with that thing. I think he's still involved. Yeah. But, I didn't learn shit and, from being did say- online. What, really? What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was during I was COVID. During COVID. But what were you going to say? We had a lot of uh, – did he actually say wearing – what is what is the wearing regulation for umbrella. wearing yeah. an umbrella? That is the exact nomenclature he used. That's wearing awesome. an umbrella. I'm holding it. What are you talking about? <laughs> like literally – We're using, using an umbrella. Like This was like a black and white umbrella. It was like black and white every other scene. It wasn't like I had one that had like a fucking – the F word on it or some shit, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like vulgar. I'll say this, like – None of my views are the viewpoints of the army, but they have some really dumb rules, like about a lot of different things. Yeah, you got to have that trench coat on. <laughs> yeah, and you can't put your hands in your pockets for longer than two seconds unless you're retrieving something. It's like my hands are cold. Why wouldn't I put them in my pockets? Shout out to the one sixty at that. Why'd y'all give me? Yeah. They got one thing right. Yeah, <laughs> why'd exactly. Y'all, why'd y'all give me pockets? No, yeah, bringing it back though. Yeah, no, that was the big thing though. Is it seemed we were so fixated on job performance, right? And it's like, well, okay, I can do my job just fine. But it's the NCO shit. Like, I, I, I honestly, I felt underprepared because the two E6s that could have helped me were both overseas at the same time. And yeah. the only other guy there was the platoon sergeant. So he was a seven. We won't name him here, but we know what we're talking about. A notorious kind of hard ass, you know. And mm-hmm. he would just, it felt like he expected me to have been an NCO for like five or six years at that point. Yeah. And we put that onus on the brand new NCO, like in that, in that situation, you know, me being me now, right. Cause I made a lot of mistakes, but I would have been that senior NCO that would have come down to you and been like, Hey, have you ever done this before? Like, even if I had never done it, right. Even if I had never charged anybody with UCMJ or had an article 15 situation, like, okay, you and I, we're going to meet in the office and we're going to figure this out together. Because at that point, I'm teaching you and we're both learning together. And the like, fucked up part was too, is that I think of all the platoon sergeants there, every other one would have done that. Yeah. It Like, I know John would have done that. Frank absolutely would have done he, I mean, he did do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it was just right. this yeah it's just this one guy man it was like i was it felt like he was setting me up to fail you know and now that i uh think about it all like i never really was taught how to lead i never made it to a leadership role but i was like i I went through basic or yeah blc and then i would have without covid i would have ended up moving up but covid ended up doing all that bullshit but the only real way i learned how to lead was just observing no one ever like taught me how to do anything i had to watch leaders suck or leaders do good you know <laughs> i had to see what what i liked in order to know how to lead or even talk to a, a kid yeah kevin and i were talking yesterday you know like some of the 
most influential leadership I've had has been bad leadership because you learn, you learn what you don't want to see in yourself and you, you always change yourself to not be like that person. It's, it's almost like a, you know, you're getting nipped at both ends from it, you know, because you don't want to be like that. So you push yourself even harder and, you know, we, we put a lot of onus back on that NCO to like kind of either make it or break it when in all reality, you know, my perspective on it, having been in the army for 13 years is the army, you, you just, you're not going to wake up one day and be a leader. And I don't think everybody can inherently be a leader. I think that there's leaders and there's managers and the army does a real bad job of kind of breaking that up and knowing that not everybody can be a good leader. You know, not everybody manages people. Well, how do we, how do we fit that in? Well, we put them into different positions where they can manage aircraft or manage property or something other than people. And they usually do really well with that. You know, you don't put, you take that human aspect of it. They can actually manage and they can lead themselves. But as soon as you give them somebody to like, basically take care of, um, it kind of goes a little wonky for them. You know? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot, like I can think of a few guys off the top of my head where they weren't great on engines. You know, they really couldn't manage the shop that well, but they were great at admin stuff. Like yeah. ask them to put together like a packet on anything. They could just nail it out the park. Counseling's are just bulletproof. Right. And like they were struggling in the shop, but then they were able to find jobs where they could might like mostly do admin shit somewhere else. And they both excelled at it, you know? Yeah. But, but I mean, toss we we had we had one you know one of my good friends who will remain nameless an nco there in the shop and i'm sure you guys can you know once i tell the story like he was he was just not great at leading people he he couldn't manage his own time really well enough to be able to manage other people and so it finally got to the point where we're like hey we're gonna put you in ops that was probably the best thing they could have done for his career because he went there and lit flourished like he flourished for whatever reason that was his job and he liked he liked doing it he liked doing it and he was good at it it's funny how much i learned from him it's like i wouldn't even know if i call it learning i just pretty much did the opposite of whatever he would do yeah (laughs) but i'll tell you though like one thing i was grossly unprepared for when i did get promoted well i was like i'm thinking okay i'm an nco now like big stars you know like that was the main goal people like i got some rank to me yeah some authority bro like it feels cool bro i'm not gonna lie it's cool it's a good feeling because you earn it so but i was so unprepared though was just getting shat on from both ends (laughs) like when you're e4 you got to worry about yourself that's pretty much it right but when you're e5 it's like you're getting an earful from the boss because Trevor's boots are dirty or some stupid shit, right? Yep. Or, you know, med pros are red, whatever. You know, it's always nonsense, right? And then the E4s and below are all bitching about having to do all that shit. <laughs> or, yep. I mean, we're, I was E4 once, I'd bitch too. You know, it'd be literally anything at all you'd bitch about it. You know, but yep. I was just like, man, this is this is tough, bro. And that's that's one of the things that, like, I don't think senior leaders impress on their younger guys is, Hey, I hate this just as much as you do. Like 
who likes a who likes going in and doing anything in med pro nobody like no. but you got to get it done why because the army says so like just tell you guys that and i guarantee you you're gonna have oh, okay you're right you know like yeah they're gonna have an aha moment like all right he hates doing this just as much as i do yeah or even so, like let's just let's just get it done <laughs> yeah like kevin comes up to me and is like dude like i could visibly see kevin's upset or like just fucking tired from a week's worth of bullshit and like Amundsen comes in, says one more thing to him, and he's like, "You know what? That's it." <laughs> and I'm, that yeah. it clicks in my head. I'm like, "All right, maybe I should help coming out and just fucking do what I'm told." <laughs> it was funny, bro. One time, bro, I was just having a bad day, and we had two soldiers in BLC. Right, one of them. It was like the day before they were supposed to graduate. One calls me up, and he's all like, "Hey, bro, they're kicking me out. They said I fucking failed tape in the beginning. I wasn't supposed to pass or whatever. So they're kicking me out." And I'm like, I'm like, I should just go up to the top of the mezzanine and just nose dive off this because I know. <laughs> Which I know you guys probably had a lot, have a lot of veteran people on here. For people that don't know, that's a big deal. Like height oh, and weight yeah. in the army for many, many years has been a huge sticking point. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I, when I went to BLC, yeah, I was two pounds over, and they taped me, man. Like they're sticklers about it, you know. Yeah. But it was like he was almost done, and he's like, "Yeah, they're trying, they're kicking me out because they said I shouldn't have been here in the first place," and I'm like. Oh my God, bro. I'm just going to jump off the like mezzanine. Like, Amundsen's going to kill me. And then he said he was joking. I'm like, bro, this fucking clown, bro. I was <laughs> gotcha. so fucking pissed off at this guy. Immediate blood pressure spike. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I have a feeling. Literally. Yeah. Literally. literally. Great stuff. Yeah. No, it was, I don't know. It was just kind of tough. It was like, that's why I like the platoon, like Frank, you know? I think that was like an S tier platoon sergeant. Like, him and John, I think they both excelled in different ways but mm. frank i think really did a good job of like instilling kind of like the greater picture and like the why in me well and while we're on the topic of frank like i just went to, through slc with him you know he's one oh, of those what? leaders that that's awesome yeah, he's one of those leaders that is great at knowing his own deficiencies yeah you know very yes. humble like he knows that he's not great at everything and he knows that he's going to, he's going to fall short. Right. And a lot of leaders don't go into leading in, in that sort of frame of thought, you know, you're not going to win every single thing. You're, you're going to have failures and you learn from those failures, but as a leader, you have to, you have to walk in with that inherent, like, okay, some, like you never plan for contingencies, like something's going to happen sort of scenario. You know what I mean? And you're going to fall short. And Frank's really good at being like, hey, I know where I sit on this. And he gathers resources. He he gets he gets people to come in and help him, you know. He was open about it, too. That's what I really liked. Like, yeah. I know you're supposed to be like a shield for us, you know. But, like, eventually we're probably going to have to deal with the same shit if we stay here long enough. So, like, it'd be nice to know what to expect. Um, well, and whether and whether we openly express it or not, this is what kind of irritates me about the army a little bit too in a way is you know senior leaders aren't allowed to have that personable moment with their soldiers you know you can't you can't complain about stuff when in all reality like those soldiers are they're seeing it they're like kids they're seeing that stuff that you're going through you know you just said it trevor like you could look at kevin and and totally pick up on when he was upset you do that you knew what was triggering him. You knew what was making him uncomfortable. So, 
it's yeah, they're going to see it and and us not having the ability to like express that and and have that human personal relationship is it's drastic it's, i still do it and so, i get yelled at all the time it's that scene from saving private ryan when they're walking in the fields and they finally ask tom hanks what he thinks about the leader and all everything that's going on and he's like yeah. i will not bitch down but that i was just thinking that was my next question i was going to ask you and especially because um so a lot of people don't know what Kevin is to me, Jason is to Kevin. So first leader, first first really glimpse of what he should be, I guess. And so when I was going through a tough time and Kevin was my leader, it took that personable moment to save my life almost. Like Kevin had to come to me and say, "Look, like let's ch let's change something about you or let's you know Kevin came to me and we started talking pers on a personal level about how to fix my life not there's no army involved nothing like that when do you think that personal moment should happen like is it is it a a, a threat of the soldier's life like when do you think it's almost okay to just say look we're all human no i think that should happen in the very beginning like you know, obviously there's that, uh, that respect that you initially give to your seniors, right? You have to, it's, it's just that rank. You respect the rank initially, but you have to have that personal moment. Like we're human beings at the end of the day. And I've, I've kind of like grown accustomed to just make people adapt like this is like, you should get to know each other. You should have that personal moment. You should know, because one, as a leader, you're getting to know your soldier, right? So you're going to kind of know like, oh man, he seems a little off today. Like, or not even that, like job performance wise, like how, how can I help him be more productive? How can I be a letter, better leader for him? And if you don't have those personal moments, it's going to be, it's like you're both battling each other at that point. Yeah. It takes some like self-reflection, I think just, just even to start out be like, okay, where am I like lacking in as a leader? Yeah. Now? And I look back on moments that I've had over the last 13 years. And even before that, cause I was in the scouts and an Eagle scout. And I had a lot of those situations before I even joined the army, but you kind of, you're going to fall, you're going to fail. And I've had some of the best, learning moments like teaching points for myself personally in the failures that i've had you know i a failure I, like leadership failure yeah yeah leadership failure Can you, you know like so the situation with kevin you know that uh okay, okay. i i count that as a failure right oh. because i think i think kevin could have been a prosperous soldier in the army like i think he could have been a good soldier and i think he could have done you know 20 years and had a career out of the army i think he was more than capable of doing that i just didn't know how as a leader to get that personable moment to him right i think i kind of did it with you i think i kind of did it with like ortney and the other guys that were in the shop at that point but for him i just had a really hard time getting like to his level to have that personal moment. I would try, like, I would try to, you know, have cordial conversations with him, even when he was in trouble. And, and we're not talking like little stuff, like, you know, being late for the third time that week sort of deal, you know? And so. I wasn't, kinda, late, though. I wasn't late though. No, I'm not saying you, I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying, kinda, oh, like, okay, okay. yeah, I, I could never have that. Like, 
I could never breach bridge that gap with him. Like I couldn't, I couldn't breach the door with him on figuring out how to have that personable moment. Cause it, I think he was a little immature at the time and he couldn't separate that stuff. Like to him, this was all one thing. And whereas me, like personal professional always been sort of split two roads. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what it was for me as I was combined. Yeah. I didn't, I was immature at the same, same time. And I combined my whole life together and that's that personable moment is when I realized, look, this this shit isn't all the same. You know, like Kevin, finally, I've, I got invited over to Kevin's house. We hung out for a little. I understood life a little more. And now I realize, look, this shit, this shit isn't all that serious. I'm not here all day. This isn't my life right now. You know, and yeah. it just took one of those moments to really realize it. But like you said, I was I was just as immature. Like there was, it was almost impossible for anyone to get something through my head just because. I was joking around or just acting, acting up, doing something stupid. So it was, you had a mouth on you too, bro. Yeah, bro. It was it was impossible for anyone to get something into my head. So finally, just uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. So I'll ask because I'm always learning, right? What what was it that that you guys finally bridged that gap with? Because it seems like there was a good portion of time that you guys didn't really get along too well. Yeah. And if you've talked about this, like, just give me the synopsis. So. You 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 want to do it, Trevor? You want me to do it? Go I ahead, Kevin. I want you to see. Yeah, let it. Yeah. Okay. So, Trevor, I don't know if you knew this, but like, I was the one who found out his wife was cheating on him when he was deployed. Like, he hit me up one Sunday morning at like six o'clock. It's like, go make sure there's no cars in the driveway, right? So I go over there with my wife. Of course, there's a car in the driveway. I take a picture, you know. And I thought All he this- was lying. Like, he called me and said there's a car in the driveway. And I thought Kevin, the dude that's been there with me since I got into the Army, was lying straight to my face. So just, I'm like, just this to seems throw like that a, ri- <laughs> a ridiculous thing to lie about. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I'm, no, no shit, dude. We stopped, me and my wife stopped in the middle of the road and took a picture of this car. And I sent it to him. And, um, like, there was no lights on in the house, you know? Like, they were obviously sleeping. It was Sunday, like, 6.30 in the morning, you know? And, yeah. like, I go and I, I park my car in this school next to the house. And then I go, like, drive away, like, five minutes later, I drive past Trevor's place, and the car is gone, you know? Dude fucking booked it. And uh, Trevor's, like, talking to his wife on the phone. He's calling me, right? And I don't know. It was just fucking – that was probably one of the hardest moments I had in the Army just because I felt so helpless about the whole thing. And I'm, like, the bearer of bad news. I can't do shit to help this guy, you know? It's not like I can go fucking beat her ass, you know? Um, Yeah, no, they ended up – yeah, go ahead. So really, it was in all reality, you know, if we break it down to what it actually was, it was a stressful environment that brought you all together, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that was the first time. Yeah, I think we really like connected, you know, because I don't think you called me for any other reason than you knew I was up, right? Yeah, no, I um, I knew like Kevin was like an acquaintance, not necessarily a friend yet. Like he was just my leader. I knew I could talk to him just about anything. But only like, and I wouldn't bother him unless I had to. I knew Kevin, I respected his personal time. Like if he was home, I didn't text him, all that shit. But yeah, it was a Sunday. And this is when Kevin was huge into running. He was running like 25 miles a week. It was ridiculous. More than that. And the place he was running at, the Greenway, was right right down my house. Right down the road. So I, I, like I thought of a couple things. But I knew my my other friends are going to be asleep. I wasn't near my family. Like, I literally had no one else to call. If I didn't call Kevin, I would have never found this shit out. So I, I, ha- I had to call. 
Yeah. Yeah. Did did she like spend a lot of money on like? Yeah. So, the yeah. Night so the night. Yeah. The night before it was, I woke up and it was like a two hundred and fifty dollar tab at a at a Star Spangled at a brewery. And I was like, this. What the fuck? So yeah, was, there's something going on there. <laughs> yeah. sure. I'm not. Well, I'm not going to say that I was excited, obviously, but like, I we all kind of figured, just by like her demeanor, you know, what she would wear. Like, the first time I went over to y'all's house, she, it was like five or six of us there, and she had these shorts on, dude. They were like couldn't have been longer than this this pouch packet right here. Like, super short, you know. Like my wife when we left, she's like, oh, we got to block her on everything, you know. Like, just bad news, you know. So I'm like, all right, let's get this bitch right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I. I found her, you know, and then um, you were big talking to Angulo about that whole thing, right, Trevor? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to be overseas with uh, an older dude. He's, shoot, I don't even know what his age was. But he was, he was around like 35, older E6. And he, he, um, he was like my dad over there, so I was able to open up about everything with him. Because I, uh, I was trying to do it with my mother, but that wasn't really working because it was over the phone. Trying to do it with my family. I had no one to connect to, so finally I found someone to connect to over there. And then, um, yeah, really when I got home, it was just, it was just a mess. That was my second deployment. So I already didn't deal with deployment issues from my first deployment. So it was already just messed up in the head at 19, 20 years old coming home from a deployment. And then, yeah, yeah. It was just, then, um, a couple short months later, my plan was to do 20 in the army. So a couple short months later, I found out I had scoliosis. So, so then I'm getting med boarded out and then I, just like I was saying, I could see it in Kevin. Kevin just saw like, like I was just beat, beat the hell up. <laughs> yeah, he this dude was beat the hell up because like he knew he was getting med boarded, but there was even months after this whole thing where like we didn't know what was happening with him. Like I would hit up Frank like every day, like, do we yeah. have anything on this guy? But he just told me no. So Trevor was just floating pretty much for a while, and uh, he had this car. I think it was a Volkswagen, right? Yeah, and it had uh, issues with the clutch or the transmission or some shit right so i follow him down to this uh repair shop and i'm about to give him a ride back and i'm like trevor dude i got this um we'll call it a cigarette i said okay. i got i got this cigarette no i didn't say i said i got something that might help you bro and yeah if you don't what you what you yeah what you said verbatim was now trevor i got something for you i got a suggestion if you don't like it i'm gonna throw you a rock if you don't like it just toss it right on back Forget I said anything. Yeah. 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 I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. So he was super with it. Yeah. I'm like, cause that was the first dude that I was ever like comfortable extending that kind of hand to, you know? Sure. And I, I could just tell that he needed some. So I uh, brought him back to my place. We smoked that cigarette and it, like, it was all pretty well then, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't think we ever established like, like we gotta keep work and personal separate, you know. I I think that was kind of like a just an unspoken rule, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, well, whether Tre whether Trevor knew it at that point or not, he had he had seen it from you, you know. Right. He he had learned that whether he adopted that prior to or not, you know. Yeah. No. But like, no shit, dude. Like, when when you came back, Trevor, you were drinking a lot, dude, with the guys. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was bad. It was it was every day. And that's what I was telling you, Jason, is I did a BLC online. So I came back and it was COVID still. So they I was in on came back quarantined for two weeks in my house. And this was like I just kicked her out my house. So my friend just moved in. Yeah, I'm quarantined in my house with a friend who just came back. So he's quarantined, too. 
So we're both drinking. And then I get into BLC, which is online, just show up just like this in front of the camera for a couple hours a day. And then that's it. So, I mean, I was drinking like literally every day because I was online. Like, what, why the fuck would I? Yeah. So, yeah. What else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. and the army and the army, like, I wouldn't even say like all the army, but the 160th, I will say, does some of the worst like post-deployment reintegration you know they just see it as oh they're they're over there less than six months like they're just going to jump right back into it well no we still need to know how to cope with that stuff like i've just started here recently over the last i'd say five or six years started you know really going to therapy and and working through this stuff and figuring out ways because i've already been in so long i've already hardwired my brain to have those reactions those uh instances and now i'm starting to like cope with my first deployment you know whereas back then i never really had that uh that chance you know what, so uh, what made you start thinking about it more where you just you just couldn't take like the little thing like for me it was i was just getting upset over stupid shit and it, that that got under my skin enough to where i was like okay what's what's really going on in my mind yeah no for me uh, you know covid COVID was rough on everybody and not in the way of like, oh, I'm sick. It's like, no, I'm stuck in my house and I haven't seen anybody because they're putting all these mandates and, you know, like it was necessary. Don't get me wrong, but it's just one of those things you're taking people and it was literally me and my husband. Like that was it. I was going into work very briefly, but still at that point I was seeing the same people and it put me into this, like it changed me. It changed everybody, but it changed me in the fact that I was starting to look at things differently. You know, I had all this free time to do the things that I love to do, my hobbies. And so then when I started like putting, you know, we started going back to work more, it was almost a different shift in where I was like, well, now I don't have the time to do the things that I love because I'm so inherently like dedicated to this job that maybe this isn't for me. Maybe, maybe I've got to figure something else out. And it put me in like this depressive state for a while. And, you know, here recently I've sought medical help and it's helped out a lot. And now we're at the point where I'm going to have, I'm taking medication now, but you know, it's, uh, you just got to work at it. You can't just think you can't just come home from a stressful environment like that and think that you're just going to just be able to go back to the way you were. You know, those stressful environments, like they rewire your brain to a point where that stuff's, you know, uh, my therapist calls it residue, like that stuff stays in your brain. And when you have those triggering moments that make you bring it, like bring it back, it's because you haven't worked on it. You've just left it sitting there and it's stagnant and it's like bad. So yeah, just rotting your brain away. Yeah. It's yeah like so it, I just. I just got to a point where I was like, enough is enough, you know, and I gotta, gotta go seek help. And, you know, a lot of people, there's, there's stigmas to that. Like yep. you go into a therapist in the army and you tell them I'm depressed. That can open up a can of worms and it can change a lot of things in your life. Yeah. The, the only so. reason I was so willing to do it is because I was getting a med board and I was already done. So it's like, all yeah. right, well, the only thing that could really happen is the therapist finds out like really who I am. And then in, couple months i never talked to them again anyway so let's at least figure some shit out so that was really the yeah. only reason because the stigmas were so bad well and people don't do it just with their mental health either they do it with their physical health in the army 
you know, they go for so long without saying, oh, my knee has been hurting for the last, you know, four years because of this bad jump that I had or whatever, you know, we say that and it's, it's a stigma, you know, and, and we do it to ourselves. Like we put so much emphasis on, well, if they're broken, like we're just going to midboard. Well, that's not necessarily the case, you know. Special operations is trying to start to turn around to it where they're starting to figure out that, you know, people seeking help for this stuff isn't necessarily a career debilitating thing. You know, we can help them and and find work for them to do. You know, we can we can take away that risk of suicide of just dropping them out of the army and, you know, kind of just letting them be. Uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm a big advocate for it. Like, go out and seek help. Yeah, I remember like when I was drinking real bad, right? I was like, should I go to ASAP? Like I thought about that. And yeah. I'm like, man, if they take my TI stamp from that, you know, like that's just going to be such a problem. Um, <laughs> what I tell you, though, one good thing, though, that came out of Trevor's whole situation is that you told a lot of people about going to therapy and like seeking oh, out those yeah. resources, bro. Yeah, because we we didn't even really know about a lot of them. We would be the chaplain, you know, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah, no, I started going, and the coolest thing uh, was Frank. So Frank knew everything about me. He was the leader at the time, and he was like, fine, just stay home, figure your shit out. So everybody knew my situation. I, I was not one of the people to separate my personal life from work. No, hell no, so no. I came into sure. work, and I let everyone know what was going on, and especially because the two guys that were involved with it all worked right here, <laughs> like literally right fucking there. So I'm going to tell everybody, let everybody know what's going on. And um, I was the happy-go-lucky guy all the time for the three and a half years I was there. So they knew me as the guy walking around smiling. And when I was med boarding, I was staying home, figuring my shit out, going to therapy, all this. And one of the days I showed up in, like, <laughs> like a sweatshirt, sweatpants, Crocs, walked into Proper <laughs> Rotor, and they're like, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, dude, I got therapy in, like, 15 minutes. They're like, yeah, you look like a dude that should be going to therapy. And now everybody, Ouch. everybody in there, like, I didn't give a shit. I was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to therapy. Fuck you guys. I don't care. So now everybody in proper rotor thinks, oh, he's just going to therapy. Who cares? And then I go into the engine shop and that's what I'm telling everybody too. So it was just, everybody knew that it was okay. Like, look, I'm going this because of this, this is to the extent of my issues. So every, everybody knew what that, that I was going. And now with this, everybody hopefully can see that it helped. So <laughs> maybe no bullshit yeah. yeah after you started going though like at least five or six people came up to me and were telling me like they're gonna start doing the same thing it was crazy hey, and sometimes that's what it takes you know i'm a big i'm a big advocate for it now you know i've always told my friends like you know go talk to somebody like i've always thrown that out there but i've never never really dug into it as deep as i have now like myself personally and so you have to you have to tell people about that. You have to make that personable approach and tell people, yeah, I'm seeking help. And if you have these issues, like this is what I'm going through. Like maybe you should, you know, it's helping me. Maybe you should go talk to somebody about it, you know? Yeah. That was one big thing I was trying to get, like trying to like, I guess teach people, but like teach myself at the same time was like signs that you might have an issue, but like you wouldn't necessarily associate it with a problem. Yeah like um like like having short-term memory issues you know that could be a, a sign of ptsd but you, if you don't know that you wouldn't really associate the two yeah no. and the biggest you issue wouldn't. is everybody's got it that you're working with <laughs> like we all went overseas Everywhere. we all came back and like you said there's no 
There's no reintegration into society again. It's just fucking get back to work. And on top and of that is before the before deploying. Ever, I know my first deployment. I was waiting that whole year. Like, Ooh, I'm gonna deploy. Let's fucking go. And like, this is gonna be awesome. And then when we come back, we're like, dude, that was so awesome. But no one's like, yeah. Well, in like six months, you're gonna be waking up at two a.m. for no reason. So just be ready for that. I know it tells you that type of shit. Yeah, and and you only see the symptoms, right? You only see this stuff when guys come into work and they're angry or upset or you know jovial and smiling all the time or whatever whatever symptom they're showing. You're only seeing that. So if you have those same symptoms, you're thinking, okay, this is normal. Yeah, like it's normal for just for me to just suddenly be angry. It's normal for me to you know, have an emotional moment over nothing, you know, like yeah. over nothing. It That's normal for me. And then you just think that it's something you're just going to have to deal with when in all reality it's not like there are some things that are hard grained in there that you probably have a little more trouble getting rid of, but those little things like you can, you can change that. Right? You can you know, get help with it. The fucked up part too, is that it's probably something that everyone deals with it. But like, because we don't talk about it, we think we're alone, you know? Yeah. Like, well, that's one thing I learned during COVID. You know, a lot of the people that I worked with that were my really good friends, uh, you know, we would have barbecues over here. We would hang out, you know, and we were always doing something. And then it got to a point where we were always hanging out and, you know, everybody's not so jovial all the time. We started talking about stuff and we started realizing that, everybody's just as unhappy as I am about every little thing, whether it's personal, professional work or otherwise, like everybody's dealing with the same stuff. Like, man, okay. It's, it's not just me. Like all right now we all need to figure out how we get out of this. You know, we all need to, uh, whatever it takes, get us out of this slump that we're in. So. Yeah. I think a, a lot of it too. It's like, there's times in life, you know, where, you just have to kind of nut up and be vulnerable, I guess, with people. Um, and it's, it's weird too. Cause like, I mean, I get anxiety over doing it with people, but like, it's never been something bad, you know, like I've never told anyone like, Oh yeah, I have anger issues or like loud noises fucking mess me up or whatever. And n no one's ever been anything but like super supportive over that. And they yeah. usually tell me, Oh yeah, I have this, a similar issue, you know? Yeah. You know? And then you then you start talking about it, and that's yeah. honestly that's some of the best therapy you can have is just, just say, sitting there yeah. shooting the shit, you know. Uh, I've had situations that I've gone back and talked to people that I was overseas with, and they're like, you know, we'll just we'll just be recalling stuff that happened. Uh, you know, Shank probably one of the most notable ones. We got mortared. I mean, it was one night. It, it looked like streamers racing across the sky, and in my head, I remember everything vividly. But then you start talking about it and it's like, no, actually, like this happened, then this happened. You got that stuff all mixed around. You know what I mean? You start talking yeah. about that stuff and processing it a little bit more because there's things in those stressful situations that you don't see, you know. How old were you on your first deployment, Jason? Do you recall? Uh, uh, 19. Okay, yeah. I think that's yeah. how old I was too, yeah. 19 or 20. I was I was way younger than I should have been going over uh you know in that capacity so according to cnn that's still a child so bro yeah <laughs> that is crazy yeah. I was, yeah the same can't thing legally I was... buy tobacco so 
<laughs> yeah, that was the fucked up part, bro. I was like, I get back from deployment, I'm like, I can't even have a drink right now. Like, yeah, it seems kind of fucked up. You can drink in Germany on the way over there, but not when you get back to the states. Yeah, yeah at the Rob. Yeah, when yeah I, right. my first yeah. my first deployment, dude. Uh, one dude that we work with told me the Rob was the hotel across the street from the airport. That nice ass. But it used it used to be though, and that used to be it. So my first deployment, we went overseas. The Rob wasn't a thing. We stayed in that hotel. Ah, oh, fuck the Rob. Was bro. it? Let's burn that bitch down. Was the Rob the Rob in like end of twenty sixteen? Uh, uh yeah because that's when this was yeah i think he was yeah. just fucking with me we were, uh, we were pretty good friends. <laughs> i think it was yeah. like 2013 2014 when they shifted that like they changed it but yeah we st- we stayed in the hotel it was it was a luxury life there for a while shit though you know what like low-key helped me during covid though is um like flying in dj right because a lot of the times we would go from dj to somewhere else and it was always at night you know it's three mm-hmm. hours over water one way. And it's like, you're a hundred feet over the water. Like if something happens, you're as good as gone, you know? Yeah. And that kind of forced me to get comfortable with the idea that like, okay, if I die, like it's completely out of my hands. You know, if it's, it's my time, it's my time, you know? Yep. And uh, it's like, it's hard to explain that to people that haven't had to reconcile that, I guess. But yeah. Are you, it was, uh... especially, especially that young, you know, like you, oh, I mean, I was getting mortared on my first deployment at that age and like, you just kind of adapt to make it, all right, this is my new life and this is my new normal sort of deal, you know? Yeah. And the, well, so for you, it might be even worse, but for us, cause, um, we were going over there when the action was slowing down. So like if I was my first deployment. I mean, we got mortared. We were sending out mortars, all that shit. But it was, it was like ah, uh, like it, we talked down on it because it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, uh, we're just like we're just sending out mortars. It's only like two miles out. Like it's not that big of a deal. It's two miles away. But then because you come home Whoa. and you got these people that go on these crazy trips and they're like, ah, oh, that's nothing, bro. I went and did this. <laughs> so now you yeah. think it's no big deal. Exactly, and that's what I was gonna say. You like the senior guys that have been there for a while. They talk about their deployments, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we had this happen and this happen, and it was crazy." And <laughs> you know, there was one day where this happened, and then so you get over there, and you're like, "Oh man, two mortars! Like that's no big deal compared to what these yeah. guys had to deal with." You know, when in all reality, it is still a big deal. You know, yeah, even those exactly. small little things that happen are big deals. So, yeah, I remember on my first deployment, like nothing happened, right? Really, with that. And then on my second one, we were coming back from this forward base and we took a different route than the first battalion did, but first battalion ended up getting a pilot shot and like they had to land and like replace them with the MTP and fly back. But we took a different route to get a fuel tank or some shit. Right. And I'm like, bro, this is some real shit, man. Like that was the first time I'd ever heard of anyone taking fire, you know, and getting shot bro. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here, man? Yeah. 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 It was just insane. I'm like, that could have been us, bro. Chinook's a lot bigger than a Blackhawk. Like, yeah, I mean, I remember my first first deployment. I think one of the things that stuck with me the worst was, you know, one of the we had had a Air Force weatherman or weather girl, and I think one of the dog handlers got shot and killed over there. And they immediately, I mean, you, you guys know how it is. I'm sure you've seen it. Like, they immediately have a ceremony for him, and that was like humbling and scary and like so many mixed emotions all at the same time 
Yeah, because so. it's like on the one hand, like, yeah, you, you kind of have to like be sad and mourn or whatever, but like you still have a job to do. So you kind of just put that on the back burner. Yeah. And you get angry, you know? Yeah. You get pissed off, bro. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you spiritual or religious at all, Jason? Uh, no, I mean, I believe in a higher power. Uh, I don't necessarily follow any strict guidelines as far as what that might be. Uh, you know, I've seen and done a lot of things in my life to kind of constitute that belief in myself. Uh, my, you know, religion growing up was a big deal for me. And my father uh, recently just got himself out of a cult situation. What? So religion, whoa, yeah, whoa, religion what? for me is kind of finicky. Yeah. Yeah. So a cult. Yeah. He was, uh, so he had cancer uh, and it was pretty serious. It wasn't quite terminal, but it was on the fence. Uh, he had a kidney, stomach, uh, had to get part of his bowel retracted or resected, all that stuff. So it was a pretty serious deal. And at that time I was driving back and forth uh, from Campbell down there. I mean, I was taking leave and, you know, going down there and helping with their appointments because my mom, my stepmom also has MS. Well, during this time, you know, death brings on weird things in people. And my dad and my stepmom really fell into religion really hard. I don't think religion's a bad thing. I think it's great. I think it brings people together. It, it offers that sense of community and, you know, uh, structurally, like the guidelines that it puts in place, they're good, you know. They fell into it a little harder than they should have. And then fast forward a couple of years, they move out to South Dakota. My husband and I get married. They want nothing to do with us. Um, so it's, it's slowly evolved back into where we have a relationship, but it's taken a few years and it's definitely changed over those few years. But that's kind of why I have that sense about religion is like, I just don't really hold myself to any bounds, I guess, with it, you know? I just try to be a good person. <laughs> that's that's really the, that. the end of it, you know? Yeah. I, I kind of became a lot more religious um, during COVID when I was stuck in Afghanistan. Like one dude, he was doing like a Bible study. Um, and I'm like, I guess I'll go. Like I didn't have anything else to do. Like the gyms are closed. Right. And he was like talking and like going over this stuff. And I was like, well, this makes sense. Like this seems like some cool stuff, you know? And like that kind of made me more religious. And then when I got back and uh, Trevor's shit was popping off, I was like, man, this is, I, I knew it was something that could help him, you know, yeah. but I hated the people that would like try to compel you to believe a certain thing. Yeah. Like they, they impress it on you. They, they make it like it's either this or nothing. And it's like, Oh, that's not the case. Like, I can yeah. be who I am and you can be who you are yeah. and we can have a relationship yeah. and there doesn't have to be anything. We can disagree on stuff. Yeah. Kevin, you know? Kevin did it really well. He did it very subtly. So uh, he knew that I wasn't religious and like really at all already. And I don't know if he meant to do it or not, but it would be just like jokes. Like I'd come in in the morning, say something happened and it would just be like, that's the good Lord watching or some, some dumb shit. And after enough jokes and enough yeah. stupid shit, I was like, dude, <laughs> he's on to something. It's like, hey, it's the good Lord's day. Or we'd be going home early on the Friday. It's like, good Lord wants us home early, don't they? I'm like, dude, what are yeah. you talking about? Are you like, what the hell's going on? And then just enough, enough of that where I was finally convinced 
when I ran into a situation, I was like, hmm, <laughs> maybe the good Lord's watching. Yeah. yeah. And then you start, you start bringing that into your own life. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Know? That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was trying. He slipped, to... he slipped you the Kool Aid. Yeah, I mean, bro, I was, I was trying to tread lightly, man. But I, but it wasn't like a denominational thing. I wasn't like, I wasn't trying to push you to be like a Catholic or like an Orthodox no. Christian or anything. It was just like get you to kind of believe in God and maybe whatever happens, right? Yeah. But I just wanted to tread like extremely lightly. Like if I had said a joke like that and you're like, "That's fucking weird, Kev," like stop doing that. I would have just yeah. stopped completely, you know. Yeah. But like, I mean, I'm a pretty joking guy. Like, you know, it's pretty easy for me. And then yeah. like, like, something... oh, I know, I know yeah, your yeah, jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Y'all know my jokes, bro. And then, um, it'd be like something where you could, I guess, contribute it to a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be like, is that really a coincidence? I don't know. It's, that seems pretty coincidental. Has it helped you in your life? I mean, oh, easily, man. One thing I have noticed is that it makes me a lot more appreciative and just grateful for everything yeah like like That's before good. like yeah before like when i was growing up and i was a teenager you know up until i was like 22 really i was like a devout atheist let's say like i was anti-religious like i thought there's a you know i can't look up and see god in the sky you know none of this shit makes any sense like the bible's all old and all this stuff right and uh, then I got old, old, like older in some life experience. And I was like, you know, this seems like a lot of coincidental shit to just be kind of made up, right? Yeah. And then I'm thinking too, like if, if I'm not here for a reason and this is all just coincidental, really my life doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, yeah. It has no significance because there's, no, there's nothing precious about it. Like I don't really have a soul. I'm just a semi-conscious bag of meat, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and as humans, it's humans, we kind of need that, you know, we need to know that there's something else afterwards. That's kind of yeah. like that uh, reassurance that that self assurance that we get that this is not all just pointless. I mean, it's not when you think about it, even if you take the religious aspect out of it, like, you know, what we do in, in our life is going to impact something somewhere, you know, even even the small stuff. So sorry, my dogs are barking, but yeah, even yeah. the small stuff, it it, it has meaning to it so yeah it, it helped me forgive a lot of shit too um there was like a lot of shit where i guess i could hate myself for you know what i did or like what other people had done to me but i'm a really like forgiving guy now like i don't think most people are malicious in their intentions like trevor yeah. let's say he was not a he was not mouthing off to me because he genuinely was a hateful individual who just wanted to see me suffer like he had grew up in a rough neighborhood yeah and it had nothing to do with you either, probably. That's just no, how he is. That's how he talks to people. It would have know? been anyone in that situation. Like, I could have yeah. even given a lip full to any NCO in there, you know? And I'm like, this is not a hateful individual, but I would still come home a lot of the times and tell my wife, like, man, Trevor pissed me off so bad today. This is all the dumb shit he did, you know? Yeah. But well, I would do the same thing with Kyle. I mean, it was... Mm -hmm. Yeah? It was a struggle, yeah. I mean... I, I talked to really good friends back in that time, like invented to them about it and got advice from them on how to really deal with it. But yeah, it was, it was rough. Yeah. I could tell Trevor had a good heart, you know, that, yeah. that really helped me kind of stick with you, I guess. Um, I don't know, Kyle, it's kind of, it's weird for me too, because I was only, I guess, 19, maybe 20, you know, the whole time I knew Kyle. So like, I really couldn't take that like objective, like this is what this dude is, you know? 
I yeah. think that's 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 what helped me a lot with just believing in a higher power is the, like just taking it as objective. Like the shit my mom does or shit my dad does, it's not it's never gonna be to harm me. But I know they're they're here on the earth, same time I am. They love me to death. They're trying to do what's best for me, and they're doing it the only way. Not maybe not the only way, but the best way they see fit. So if it's yeah. if it's going to piss me off, that's because it's not the best way I see fit. You know, like it's it's just that's something they're doing. Like there's there's nothing I could I can't control. I can't do anything about it. They're doing something nice in their mind. It's time for me to sit back and think, oh, maybe why do, why do they think it's nice? Why do I think it's not nice? Shit like that. Like it's gotten me to analyze it a lot more. Yeah, and it's all how you perceive it too. You know, when you when you start shifting the perspective on things that happen, you know, with your parents or anybody really, like it can make you realize that that's not necessarily the case and change it. It'll change you over it, you know? Yeah. So it took, it took me a lot to realize like my dad and the way our relationship has gone is like, that's, that's him and his life. And I can't, uh, you know, I can't hold that against him. Like he's doing what he thinks is best in his life. And yeah, it sucks that those years are gone now, but you know, maybe the future will hold something different. Is it when you came out that he just didn't want anything to do with you? No, at first he was real supportive of it. Him and my stepmom, they, you know, called my husband, their other son. And then as the religious got, got to become more of an influence, it started shifting it towards, we don't believe this is right anymore, but we're still going to love you. And then it shifted to, uh, we aren't, we don't really want to have anything to associate with it, you know? So then the conversations we we'd call and talk to each other and it would just be like wave, wave tops. I'm not really talking about my life. I'm not really, you know, telling you what's really going on because I have to leave that part of my life out. Such a significant part of your life too, you know? Yeah. And for me, it was like, all right, I gotta, you know, I gotta kind of cut ties and let it, let it lay for a little while. And it's, it's slowly grown back into it into a, a good relationship and i think you know i'm hopeful for the future on it yeah. so were, were you in during don't ask don't tell i was yeah when did that end like 2011 i want to say uh no i think uh when was it repealed i'd have to go back and look but it was i was in for a couple of years before they repealed re or appealed it so but but you still kind of I don't say kept it hidden, but like didn't tell people after that, right? Like I did I didn't know you were gay. No, I and that's that personal and professional. You yeah, know, yeah. I I grew up in that time of don't ask, don't tell one, but also, you know, that's still something that people can have an objective look on and not that it won't necessarily go in your favor. You know, they won't really look at you as a person and take you in for your work ethic or who you are. Um, they'll just immediately put that as number one and you know right. slide yeah. it off the table so they couldn't say uh, yeah yeah you know i mean i've worked with really religious people in the past and you know there's been little issues but eventually we'll work it out to a point where we have a good working relationship and in all reality that's all we need you know i don't need to be friends with you on the weekends but we still have to have a good working relationship and if that's not there you know it can it can degrade real quick so yeah, when I when I found out, um, Miguel is the one who told me, right? Mm -hmm. I uh, I was like, that doesn't make it. Like, I, it was kind of weird, right? Because like you, in my mind, right? I'm thinking 
like a gay person that's got like you know like all the gay people i knew were from colorado very gay like you okay. know had a voice and all the like rainbow flags everywhere you know I'm like jason yeah. bro what that's that's crazy like i never would have guessed i can't see and then, him wearing a rainbow flag never <laughs> would have guessed in a thousand years right yeah. and then uh, i'm thinking i wonder if he kept it hidden because of kyle because kyle may he would have said some shit to you bro if he knew no it wasn't really that it was because i mean miguel and i were really close friends when i was there right we still are we still talk on occasion but you know how that is when you have space between you and sometimes yeah, things yeah. don't stay as connected you know but he was the first person i ever told so he knew well before anybody else did and then i didn't like really not give a shit until i got to where i'm at now and got settled sort of i'll say because you know i had to kind of interview for this job now and you know i didn't want to disclose that initially because i felt like maybe they would have taken that into their decision so yeah true. i was gonna say it's kind of interesting uh miguel is the first one to know miguel was like my dude when everything hit the fan like i slept at his house for a couple days when i when she was sleeping at my house i had nowhere to stay so it's kind of yeah. funny that, that miguel was there for the both, both shout out to miguel bro yeah that a solid dude bro yeah just like, trying to do good in the world that's a good dude yeah yeah well and him, I, and, him and him and i were always i don't know real close you know because we kind of he was already in e4 and he was way older than us, right but he was also i don't know a little immature i guess in a sense and yeah. so like we kind of had we related a little bit in that sense and so we we grew close and it, he was going through a tough time about the same time all that stuff was changing in my life and you know so i i i just kind of told him one day we were going to get coffee and it was the same reaction you just had like what what are you talking about yeah <laughs> yo like i was shook dude is that like so that's the, the biggest thing for for gay individuals is the coming out was that like scary in the car or did you just say it you know what i'm saying like did you look miguel you know, where, uh, that, that probably played over in your head quite a bit. I think I had already, yeah. I mean, because there were instances beforehand that I, like, wanted to say something, but we had just never had that, like, sharing of things in our life that were that uh, monumental. You know what I mean? He was going through a pretty rough time, and it just seemed like, okay, this is the right time because he just told me something, and I'm going to tell him something and at that point we have to keep it secret, you know, like it's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're locked in, bro. Yeah. And, and so it was kind of a, it was, it was like what soldered our friendship together in a sense, you know, and I've had, you know, the next person was uh, Drew, a uh, tech supply guy, him and I had a couple real rough deployments together and that just kind of, you know, it was, it was easy for me to do because I'd already had that relationship with him now. When I came out to my family initially, that was a little different because that's, you know, that's your family and yeah. their, their perspective on it can, it can be, uh, hard to deal with, you know? So. Yeah. No, I remember, um, when my sister was telling me how her spouse was transitioning to become a man, right? Like initially I was like, that's kind of like bizarre, you know? Like it, that was yeah. the first trans person I ever knew. And yeah. um, like, of course I was afraid of like dead naming them, you know, and you know him getting all pissed off at me. 
but like he was super chill about it you know like we talked about it you know like i talked to my sister about it and um it was like surprisingly simple i was i was shook though bro when he uh started taking testosterone one year like i came home for christmas and he opens the door and he's like sup bro and he's got like a beard and all this shit i'm like what totally changed yeah yeah, yeah. what the f yeah you know she she's she texted me like a few months ago though like thanking me because she knows i'm a religious guy you know i'm fairly yeah. right wing on some things but my my guiding principle i guess is just not to be a dick when you don't need to be yeah um i mean you just you don't have to be that way like you you're not you're not in that situation you know and at the end of the day they're a human being so why would you not be nice to them you know i mean i don't get necessarily like all bent out of shape with a lot of it um you know i've grown up in a in in the special operations community and we're inherently known for harassing each other to no end about everything you know so it uh there's going to be jokes. There's going to be stuff that people say, and you know, you just got to kind of let it roll off your back and you got to be accepting of their views just as much as they're being accepting of yours. So, yeah, that's, that was like my biggest thing is when I started having my mental health issues, I was like, I, I wouldn't want someone to downplay my shit. Like mm -hmm. when I come and tell you about my thing and you, or my suicide attempt, whatever it is, and you just downplay it, that's just like the ultimate portrayal. So I don't want someone to come to me, open up to me, and then me seem like they think I'm a dick for whatever my reaction was. And I was yeah. thinking about this earlier because I, I asked Kevin a couple times if we could talk about this with you because I've never met you before. I didn't know what was happening. But then earlier today I was thinking why, why wouldn't he want to talk about it too? Because there's only one way for me to find out because I, I don't think that way. I don't. That's not how my brain is wired. So the only way for me to really know what you're going through is if you tell me. <laughs> and yeah. now and now we're in a society where you can't even tell me anymore because there's there's so many bullies or whatever it is. Both on both yep. ends of the spectrum. It's just there's no discourse anymore. I can't ask questions. I just want to know. I want to know what's yeah. going on because this is such a big thing in today's society. If I don't know what's going on, I'm just left in the dust and I'm just one of those ignorant people that can't that no one can come and talk to about it. Exactly. And as advocates for anything, you have to be willing to have those conversations, even with people that you disagree with, you know, when, when my dad, you know, fell into the religion and that started, my lifestyle started becoming an issue, you know, that was, that was where I was at with it, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't willing to like teach me what he believed. And so it just kind of like shut the conversation down. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, didn't bring any prosper. You know, it was like it a just bad faith. Work. Yeah, it was like a bad faith. Con like he wasn't genuinely trying to understand you. I don't, I mean, at least it didn't sound like. No, he wasn't. And, and that was, that's going to shut anything down. Like, no, I'm not going to want to talk to you about it anymore. You know, so you have to be open minded to those things. Like, I'm not trans. I don't necessarily really understand it because I've never lived it. You know, I've never, I've never put myself in your shoes or been in your shoes and I can try, but unless I have that conversation with you, like I'll never know and I'll never be able to relate to you and I'll never be able to put, put myself in your shoes and actually understand. That's the biggest problem is the relatability. I mean, my dad always says this, the easiest way to talk to someone is just on one thing y'all relate on. 
but yeah. you know, and it's becoming a big. I mean, it is a big part of your life being gay, lesbian, trans, whatever it is. Is it's such a big part of your life, and if you can't talk about it, you're gonna have to fill this conversation up with something else. You know, and yep. we're gonna have to relate on and what, something else. And what do you do at that point? You know, it's because it's gonna be, it's gonna be weird for both of us at that at that. Right. point in the conversation like we're both going to kind of shut down and then you're never going to find that uh that common ground right yeah i think um, it's just people labeling other people as like the others you know yeah like straights versus gays or blacks and whites it's like i don't think we should label other people as like the other group you know well it also doesn't define you as a person yeah you know like you being straight isn't defining you as a person and me being gay isn't defining defining me as a person and sorry to assume you're you know sexual orientation but uh uh it you know it's just one of those things like we have to talk about it we have to we have to educate each other we have to be advocates for whatever we believe in and you have to be approachable about it that was one thing i kind of struggled with because like in colorado people are very gay like they, yeah. they, a lot of them do make it like the kind of the center of their personality, you know, but yeah. like, I didn't meet like a gay dude that wasn't, that wasn't all he would ever talk about until I was like 22, 23, you know? Well, and that's one of those things too, you know, you talk to different people and it doesn't matter if it's sexual orientation or their hobby, like whatever their life is about. And if that's the only thing they have, that's what they're going to make it, you know? So if that's what they have in their life and that's the biggest thing in their life, like they're going to run wild with it. So, you know, I just don't, I don't impress it on people. Like I don't go into anything impressing that worried a sexual orientation on anybody. I, you know, I don't hide anything anymore. I don't gloss over it. Like if somebody asked me if I'm married, like, yeah, I have a husband, you know, or even if they ask me, Oh, what's your wife's name? And I say, Jacob, like, you know, we all have a little awkward giggle about it, but I don't make it a big deal. It's because it's not in all reality. Yeah, yeah, it's just not a big like. It's just something that you are. It's like no more than you being, yeah. no more than me being straight. You know, okay. It's almost like a like a feeler for if you want to talk to the person. Like you could almost yeah. you could just run up to a stranger and if you just tell them that you could offer their reaction, and be like, eh, you know, what? I could stop talking to you, yep. <laughs> and I'll be perfectly like, yeah. fine. Like, okay. You immediately know whether the conversation is <laughs> going to go anywhere or not. Yeah, it's exactly. like because they, you can see it in their face. They'll like immediately shut down yeah. or get this like <laughs> wide-eyed look on their face, like oh man. And it's like, and once I smile and like kind of laugh about it, then you see they're unless they're not okay with it, you know. But yeah. like the ones that say something awkward, they once you laugh and smile, about it, they it kind of brings the wall down, and then it almost kind of I don't know offers you more to talk about a little bit because you just both laughed at something funny yeah. that you just said, you know, that's like, a, or that's not, not, like I said, not something I know about. Like, of course I'm going to yeah. laugh my ass off at that because if you're making a joke about it, I can't make jokes about it. I can't cause I don't know. And that's what I do every day yeah. is I just fuck around, and make jokes about it. Of yeah. course I'm going to love that shit because I can't make jokes, you know? <laughs> I mean, I laugh at some of, some of the worst gay jokes, you know, like they're funny to me too. It's, yeah. it's not a big deal. You know, there's certain lines you don't cross. Right. Obviously, you know, like for me, like is a trigger word. Like I've had 
people say that to me in not so great environments under the wrong terms. And it's, you know, I'll, I'll say something to you at that point, you know, but if you just if you use it in a joke, like it, it's not the same. It doesn't hold the same context, you know? Right. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of these kind of triggering words, you know, like depends on how you're going about it, you know? Yeah. And, and we shouldn't hold so much to it. Like in all reality, at the end of the day, it's just a word, you know, it's the, the thought and the influence and the meaning that you put behind it that really makes it what it is, you know? Right. Yeah. You know. Okay. Where are we at on time, Trevor? We're at 116. Ooh. 116. Sounds yeah. nice, bro. Yeah. Yeah. You ready to wrap it up? Hell yeah, bro. Because I really got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you too, no, huh? Jason, yeah. I appreciate you coming on, man. It's definitely a yeah. good conversation. Yeah. No, y'all definitely have to come on again, man. That was awesome. I appreciate it a lot. Well, I'm currently, uh, we're, you know, getting everything started for a PCS to Hawaii in October. So, oh, yeah. uh, Hell yeah. you know, hopefully, hopefully we can get a video in before then. Cause I'd love to talk to you guys about anything you want to, uh, yeah. enjoyed it. But maybe the next time I'm on here, it'll be with the ocean in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers nice crossed. Backdrop. Hey, yeah, for sure, for sure. No, yeah. We definitely got to get you on again, man. Appreciate yeah. you coming. All right. Yeah. All Later, right. dudes. Peace. Later.